Hi, this is Joe Cushley on Resonance FM, and I'm delighted to have two of my favourite musicians in the studio today, PJ Harvey and John Parrish. The council wants to do the right thing by its residents. That's clear, because all those councillors want to get re-elected. And I hear sirens, and I taste blood, and I smell burning, and everything hurts. Tune in each week to hear a unique selection of drama, documentary, live discussions and much more. The Clear Spot, Monday to Friday, 8 to 9pm on Resonance 104.4 FM. Also streaming at resonancefm.com. If you'd like to make or present a Clear Spot for Resonance FM, log on to our website at www.resonancefm.com for more information. Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you the Art Monthly Talk Show on the Clear Spot of Resonance 104.4 FM. You've just heard the jingle about the Clear Spot. Um, we've been using the Clear Spot for a while now. It's an hour programme. Um, the programme is based on texts or features or reviews, as you might call them, in Art Monthly magazine. This programme is based on the September issue 379. That's September 2014. And we are discussing one feature and two reviews but the reviews cover quite a few spaces and places one is based in Liverpool and one is based in London and as I say the feature which is going to come in the middle of the program is a philosophical sort of um, treatise or piece of writing um, about the web, art on the web now that is by Ajay Hotti mm-hmm. um, hello Ajay, thanks so very much for coming in I know you've just come back from a being away out of the country, so uh, really appreciate you being around. It's my pleasure. Um, I hope you're not suffering from jet lag. Um, Ajay is a writer and documentary filmmaker from London, and I'm also joined in the studio um, as, by Bob Dickinson. Bob, hello. How do you do? You've come down especially from Manchester, which again, very grateful for, and um, you're going to be um, talking about the Liverpool Biennial I Correct. hope I've said that right, not Biennale. No, it's Biennial. It's Biennial. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's the one that's currently still on. Um, and you went around a lot of venues, and uh, we will be covering that, first of all. Mm. And then we're also joined by Nick Warner. Nick, hello. Hello, hi. I'm just looking around the engineer hello. at him, because I can't actually see him. But <laughs> there he is. He's got a huge mic as well, so I can hardly see him <laughs> behind his huge mic. Um, anyway, suffering slightly from a little cough, but I think we'll manage. Just a tickle. Just a tickle. That's good. See, sounds fine. Sounds fine. And Nick um, did what we call a London Roundup. He did um, London Roundup 3, because in this issue of Art Monthly, I think there must be three London Roundups. Correct. Um, and you covered four galleries, I think, Yes, Nick? A, qu- a quartet of galleries. A, quarter of gal- a quartet of galleries, yes. yes. yes okay. Yes. Well, we will come to you, and the guys are going to join in with questions whilst each other are talking. Uh, try to keep me as quiet as possible, and I will come in occasionally as well, perhaps if I can think of anything remotely intellectual enough to say um we'll start with bob um bob you went round the biennale which happens obviously every two years it's been going on quite a few years now the Liverpool Biennale. i don't actually know when it started but it must be have done six or yeah i think it is eight yeah. or so it's it's a lot and basically it's a time when liverpool really comes alive isn't it with visual yeah. arts so all the galleries yeah. that are there really push the envelope as they say and, and do the best they can but uh, also there is a core organisational team which organises special things for the Biennale what, what did you see when you went there? Well it was very, it's been a very busy summer in um, Liverpool because the 
biennial or the beginning of the biennial also coincided with the giants who were these giant puppets who came over from France. Yes, I saw some images of that. A load of, like, I think on one day I heard there was 30,000 people in the, in, the streets. in the streets of Liverpool just watching the giants. So it, it, it was absolutely rammed. And the biennial's been happening at the same time. So, yeah, it's yeah. been a busy... Really good time for Liverpool. Yeah, very good. Which yeah. it needs. It needs lots of uh, people to go there and activate it and uh, yeah. support it, doesn't yeah. it? Which yeah. is great. I mean, presumably, economically, it brings people in who eat and drink and do things other than just look at art. I don't think there's any shortage of people drinking in the middle of Liverpool. <laughs> no, but more of them. More of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the starting point for the for anyone going to the biennial is, is the is the blind school, the old blind school, which is um, uh, where um, you uh, well, it's 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 has been recently a derelict building, um, and in the past it was an unemployment unemployed and trade union resource centre, um, and in the future I believe it's going to be turned into flats, but it's this rabbit warren of a place, a sort of an old 19th century building on Hardman Street, which is up in the direction of the university. And uh, in there, that's the best place to start. That's where there's the, the, uh, the, 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 the main sort of group show is, is on. So a, cu- a, curia- a curated exhibition of yes. various artists within that building, most, yes. basically. Uh, yeah, and um, I, uh, it's th- 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 there's a theme for this... Uh, biennial or the, the the group show in the, the biennial and and, it, and it's called a needle walks into a haystack and that, I think that's the sort of sets a, a rather comedic tone to the whole proceedings. It's difficult to see. I, I mean, it claims to be about in the environment and about surroundings and and so on, um, but it really gives artists sort of free range to 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 uh, to make art about anything they like. I think and. Um, there, and it, and the tone is is as I said quite quite jokey. Um, you go you go into the old blind school and there is this piece that you more or less stumble into or sp- splash into, which is the the Norma Jean um, uh, piece, uh, all, which all is called All liars. Artists Are Liars. Yes, which is a solar operated ice making machine, which just churns out ice all day long. And which falls on the floor and then melts. So it's ice created by heat, which then melts because of heat. And someone's permanently on duty to mop up the puddle, which you have to walk through to get into the rest of the exhibition. Um, which is a fun start. It's a fun start, and I'm not saying it's got any depth to it, except the water's got some depth to it. <laughs> but, um, no depth to the heart. No, it's funny. I mean, it's a, it's a, it sets the tone. It just yeah. sets the tone. No, I mean, there have been other artists who've used ice, obviously. I mean, yeah. I, just to and name... And water, I suppose. <laughs> Say again? And water. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but I mean, literally, you know, people have... St- uh, Laurie Anderson stood on ice while playing a violin yeah. in ice skates. I mm. know that one. And Andy Galaccio had a huge block of ice in a building... Just that was it, and it mm. just melted slowly during yeah. the duration of the show. So it's 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 not a it has a precedent. Is that the right word? It's, it's, oh sure. It's also reinforcing this idea talking about this is Nick. that it's Nick. Uh, purportedly uh, sort of environmentally conscious. This this titling is in some way sure. Oh so yeah. So I suppose it's this sort of hysteria around uh, renewable resources, but obviously just pumping that. So the title "All Artists Are Liars" kind of yeah. also has a resonance that goes right through the yeah. the rest of the show. I think. Okay. Um, and I mean, there's there's some 
I think the, the, the piece of Vechtler has quite a lot of different pieces in the, in the show all over the place. Um, he has a series of paintings of scenes of sexual encounter which are witnessed by 18th, uh, waiters or servants in 18th century garb. And these are placed all over the place. And he has some a rather peculiar um, uh, ceramic works which are underwater uh, marine life uh, cr creatures, eels and fish and things wrestling and interacting with each other. And he has uh, some quite bizarre videos, uh, uh, animated videos as well, uh, which all have this kind of dark humour to them. Um, and that ha that influences the atmosphere, I think, throughout the whole show. And I, I you, you just went at the blind school there. That, that yeah, show. I'm still, we're still in that, the blind just that school. particular show. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it took me two hours to get out of the blind school. Really? Yeah, um, that's a long time to spend. It, it is. It, there it was is. just a lot there. I mean, uh, the, the other th two things I should mention. There's there's um, uh, a, a very interesting piece. Uh, called Strategic Level Spiritual Warfare by Michael Stevenson, which is a pair of double doors which have been borrowed from John Moores University Computer Sciences Department, I think. And they are... What you do is you walk up to one of these sets of double doors and you you try and open the door. And, and, and they are and between two rooms, are they? No, it's in one room. There's a set of doors on your right and a set of doors on your left. OK. And you go through... The double doors and and usually both doors will open, but sometimes one of them won't open, and sometimes both of them, neither of them, will open. It, and uh, they're hooked up to a, a set of computer games in another room, and the movement of the doors influences the outcome of the computer game that they're hooked up to. So that there are and there are a set of locks in the door jam that can can lock the doors down. Or one or other, or other of the doors. Is anyone playing the game? No, 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 it's all automatic. Right. But you can see the game, uh, say, on can, a screen or You can or go something. into another room yeah. and watch the games. But before you get to that door, you, can't, you don't know that that's there. Right. And um, it, supposedly this is... Uh, well, it's, it, the, the artist has dedicated this work to a, a, a professor, Jesus de Martinez, of the University of Panama, who was a mathematician or is a mathematician, I'm not sure, even if this is a real person. <laughs> but apparently this guy believes that the devil lives in the uh, hinge of a swing door. It's, you've written here the swing of a hinge door. Uh, it's the same <laughs> difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think it is. <laughs> If you know Duchamp's piece, which is a door which is either is it always open and closed, which goes between two mm. door frames, yep. yes, <laughs> then it's critical, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, I spent a f quite a few minutes trying to trying to work this one out. I yeah. thought it was quite quite good. Fun. I think you enjoyed and, it. And, yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Nicholas Sirota was there at the same time. And oh, was he? Was, he? he was. Well, that was a good timing. To <laughs> well, he could just slip through the gap in between the doors. Um, but the, yes, he's he's quite he's, he's, not, he's a lot thinner than me. He's a lot thinner than me. Um, but I thought the best thing in the blind school was uh, 
right at the top of the building when you think there's no you keep climbing up the building i think there's about four floors and when you think there's nothing left you get to this floor at the top and there's one thing in there and um you can't tell what it is until you get inside it it's like a wooden hut you see on the outside and it's by rana hammaday who's a lebanese artist who um i think is based in america um and it's called can you pull in an actor with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope and it's a deconstructed shiite ritual called ashura which is um uh, a, a ceremony which happens all over the Shiite Muslim world. It happens all over the Muslim world, but the Shiite side of, the, of Islam is very enthusiastic about it. In certain countries, notably Lebanon, um, and it commemorates the death of Imam Al Hussein in a battle uh, hundreds of years ago. And in certain Shiite communities, they flay themselves and in some of these uh, rituals the flaying involves a lot of blood mm. and um, I know that Rana Hamaday has, has said that this work does address uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon who, I mean I've seen films of them doing these, these, these flaying flagellant rituals with the blood flowing and what you what happens when you go inside this box is there is a there is a soundtrack it's quite a long soundtrack and it's it's constructed like a play in acts and it's really frightening it's quite it's quite amazingly so yeah, it's, it's, dark, it's very loud it's a dark room it's not, it's with sound dark. No, it's, it's not, not dark, dark but it's a room with loud sound loud sound in ambient it's got sort of several sets of stereo speakers so the, the sound moves about and it, it is uh, it uses these ideas of the, uh, the Shiite Ashura ritual but there are human voices that seem to say things that make guttural noises, intakes of breath that are cut off, it's superbly edited as a piece of audio art it's, and, it's, and it is very But it sounds, sounds like it's a a, tran a literal presentation of the sounds you would hear if you were no, there. No, it's, it's not literal. It tries. It, so how does it? How does it escape? It, that? it seems to distort those sounds and turn them into pulses and right. into beats. And there are human voices that are also distorted. And it's it's it's, so it's based on. It's quite shocking. I saw a lot of people kind of come into the room and then they stayed two minutes and they had to leave. <laughs> and people looked a bit queasy, but I thought it was really good. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was really effective. Yeah, I know it's a um, a George Bataille. Is that a George Bataille -esque tattoo? It is. Yes. There you go. I think it's a sort of self-flagellation, sort of that sort of self-flagellation, self-flaying sort of thing that appealed. Uh, well, it, it could do. I, I, the the yes, you could say that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that afterwards. Fair enough. <laughs> Is that personal? Then? Is it? No, it would take too long to. Okay, it's just a describe. time thing, guys. It's just a time thing. Sh um, should I move on to something else? Yes, do. Oh, we're yeah, still no. in the old blind school. That's um, fine. Well, you've done. Yeah, because I mean, no, we're doing fine. But uh, where? What venue next? Did you manage to? Uh, uh, well, fact at fact, there is a really um, interesting show by Sharon Lockhart. Um, they specialise in in film and video, and video by yes, artists. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. what fact does. I think. 
Yeah, and Sharon Podvar, uh, Lockhart has, has, has been doing these films in Poland, in Loch, in Poland, uh, studying children, playing. And she just has a fixed camera, watching children playing in these little courtyards, which are very run down. Um, cars are parked there, rubbish is collected there. The kids are doing things like making mud pies or cycling tricycles or just kicking a football somewhere where the acoustics in these little courtyards will magnify the sound of the football. And the kids are also climbing trees and climbing railings. And the ca because the camera doesn't move, you're aware of the fact that the space is being constructed all the time and reinvented by the children. And... Uh, yeah, I saw one of two, two little boys that were climbing, yes, yeah. climbing up a building and they were swinging on it and then jumping down and climbing up. And, they, and the, their invention, they, they created a gym, yeah. gym, really, out of this yeah. bit of concrete that was knackered. And it yes. looked amazing, what, their invention. Yeah, and uh, she's worked with um, local people and she's very interested in kind of the history of uh, child education in Poland and... There are all sorts of other exhibits there that are connected with that. Um, but the films on their own are, are really fascinating to watch. Um, and then, uh, not very far from fact, you've got the Tate. Uh, and at the Tate, Liverpool, there is a, uh, an exhibit about, uh, um, about the work of Claude Perrault, the French architect... Uh, and colleague of the philosopher Ferilio, uh, who uh, in the 1960s went off to look at German bunkers on the Atlantic Wall, and they together created a whole new way of thinking about concrete architecture and a, consider a new consideration of concrete architecture. And, and because these bunkers were sort of battered by the weather and built on sand, a lot of them have tipped over and the floors aren't level so Perron got into in the 60s um, got into the idea of uh, buildings with floors that weren't weren't horizontal but um, uh, tipped over and um, environments where there were no right angles and they built this room based on these principles. So they've got sloped floors and things sloped floors they? yes it's great fun for kids So is it about how it affects people when they live in somewhere like that? Is that what he was interested in how do you adjust as a, a way of living when you do adjust architecture a bit quite extremely. Yeah, um, he. I'm just looking at a picture here in this in the catalogue of a, the French pavilion for the Venice Biennale in 1970, which she designed, and it's it's just all sloping angles, and because it confuses you slightly, you could you're, he he didn't see a reason why you should. Why you needed with buildings like this? Why you needed furniture? You could just lie down. You could just lean on an angle. You could lean on an angle. Yeah. Yeah. So this this exhibit is a sort of it actually it reminded me of the hacienda in Manchester in the eighties <laughs> when I used to go to the hacienda because it. Well, you spent quite hey, a lot of time lying down there, did you? Well, some people did. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> and it's grey because it's concrete, except the 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 piece in the Tate is made of wood actually, and. Uh, and it's got these kind of lozenge patterns on the corners, warning warning you that there's a there's a corner. But it's it's also got pieces from the Tate collection there, and the best thing in there is water motor, which is a a dance piece um, 
uh, made by uh, Downstown, by performed by Trisha Brown in 1978, and uh, that that's one of the one of the pieces in, in, that you can see in in that particular room. Um, what about what about um, a, a show you saw, which would probably be the last one we should talk about yeah. for a minute, just in terms of time? Yes, a Adrian Henry. Yeah, right. Yes. Total Art. What, what was that well, one? Um, Adrian Henry. Uh, is on at John Moore's University. Um, uh, it's part. It's near. It's 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 an exhibition centre adjacent to the art school. It's called the John Lennon Building. Adrian Henry was a poet, um, uh, an artist, a uh, musician. He was one of the Mer original Mersey poets, along with um, Adrian. Uh, um, uh, 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 Don't worry, I can't, can't remember either. But the, he, there are a yeah, few. He was uh, a uh, when I was a teenager. He was in a band called Liverpool Scene, and he was. Um, but it, it, you know, before that, in the early sixties, he was one of the uh, first people to bring happenings into the UK, and he did them in Liverpool as early as nineteen sixty-two. And to um, just mention, because I was amazed that you, you, you say it, but there was a, a letter, wasn't there, in the exhibition, a handwritten letter from, from yeah. Well, it, there is, yeah, there is a, a hand. Uh, uh, um, so, I mean, I can tell you, it was, a, it was a handwritten letter from to Henry. Yes, that's right. By Alan Capra. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in 1966. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's written in very small biro, and it's it it just shows you that Henry was like in touch with these people. Because Alan Capra is a, a big happenings man in America. He, yeah, he invented the and, American. And I thought happening. it was just really great that there was this link between those two people. Yeah, and there's there's all sorts of other interesting documents like um, uh, an autographed copy of Howell uh, that uh, Ginsburg has drawn things on. There's all sorts of posters of from Henry's gigs. There's um, a pair of gold lame underpants that he used to wear <laughs> on stage. The, he invented all sorts of other bands like Bobby and the Helmets and and so on. Um, he's a great painter. Uh, he, Is that on display? Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's, all, it's all on display, and, and uh, th th there's a lot of his video um, stuff that he d the appearances that he made on television. Um, there's copies of the Mersey Poets book, the, the first Mersey Poets book. There's uh, um, books, all sorts of other books, and it's a, it's a really well-researched show. I'm going to give you one more thing to talk about really quickly. You mentioned Rose Wiley in the John, oh. John Moore's Painting Prize. You thought she was really good because she was 80 years old. Yeah. You selected to be in the John Moores, which is... I don't know whether that's unusual or not, but you did think that there was something unusual about her, didn't you? Well, it's just, it just, just doesn't look like the work of an 80-year-old. It it's, it's just looks so vibrant and young and energetic and sexy. And uh, I think the actual prize is announced in a couple of days, the actual winner. And you hope it will uh, she's, she's definitely shortlisted. Is she shortlisted? That's good. Along with Ray Hicks and Mandy Payne and, and someone else. But... Um, yeah, the Mandy Payne piece is good, uh, uh, work is very good. It's called Brutal, um, and it's it's uh, it's it's again another sort of manifestation of brutalist concrete architecture because it's actually painted on a piece of concrete, and it's based. It's a photorealist depiction of of, a, of part of the Park Hill um, development in in Sheffield, and it's um, it, it's it's very impressive. But um, yeah, my, I I I. Uh, I um, I like the Rose Wiley a lot. It's Good. great. Okay, well, look, thank you ever so much, Bob, for that.
Um, we'll just move over to a Ajay now. And Ajay, your piece was called Lonely Arts in Art Monthly. That's right. And it says Ajay Hotty philosophizes about art on the web. And you do basically talk about two particular projects. I don't know if that's the right word, really, that are on the web. Mm -hmm. And they are by artists, aren't they? They are. I mean, it's... I'm reticent to call them uh, web projects. Uh, I think, actually, why not call them artworks? Fine. Simple as. And that's kind of what I was attempting to think through here. Uh, to say, <coughs> uh, I hope you philosophize about, about art on the web. I'm not so keen on the term philosophizes because, right. basically, I'm just trying to go back to basics, do some sort of fundamentals. Um about how we talk about art that occurs on the web as just another medium. And actually, I want to uh, go back to page 37 of the latest issue. Fine. Uh, the books, the Internet Roundup, uh, which, and quote just one line, it's That's by, by Morgan, Morgan Quaint. Yeah, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, in the first paragraph where he says, Today things are different. Uh, the net has moved centre stage. More artists than ever are using it both as a material and a medium, and the ubiquity of video collage, digital image manipulation, and meditations on the flatness of HD are all seen as evidence that an online sensibility has migrated offline as net-aware or post-internet art practice. And that's kind of where my thinking about this piece started, because, I mean, I sent it to you guys just as a, on the off chance, would you be interested sort of thing. And... Um, Everywhere we read about, you know, post-internet art, and I think even in this, in his book's roundup, there's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four books, um, and they're all recent, you know, and they all cover post-internet art, um, and it just made me think, well, actually, because nobody really knows what post-internet art is, we can identify works that we might describe as post-internet, but there's no actual working definition despite the I don't know how many millions of words written about it um, so in other words if I say to you what is it it's actually really hard to just sum it up and everyone will go I agree exactly I mean in the uh, in the piece itself I use the example of relational art as well which is not so dissimilar in terms of its discourse and the dialogue around it is that Nicholas Buriard exactly that sort of that sort of work whether it's sculptural whether it's performative whether it's painting whatever and the same sort of curatorial discourse that's like uh new institutionalism or something like that from which had its peak you know whatever in the 2000s um but i actually wanted to go back and think well actually if we're talking about post-internet art what is internet art uh, for the past few years, I've been running this company called Tank TV, which basically shows curated programs of artists, film and video online. And very simply, it's, you know, a space for display. Um, we don't really have the resources to make it anything more complex than that. But there are lots of artists like Yuri Patterson, like Cecil B. Evans, uh, Yuri, who's actually opening a show tonight at Cell Project Space, that is... I'm not sure exactly what the work is, but it's definitely digitally influenced, if not specifically uh, web-based. And um, I just wanted to go back to basics and think, how do we interact with an art with an artwork that takes place online? And uh, can we describe it in the same way that we talk about art in a gallery? When you say describe it, do you perhaps mean value it? 
Are we talking about equal value, or is that and that's completely not what you're talking about? I think that is maybe a few essays along. Um, at the moment, I'm just talking about you how stick we... to the one you've written. That's exactly. Fine. That's I don't fine. know the answer to that one. No, yet. no, I wasn't asking the answer. Really. <laughs> um, I'm talking about how we approach it. How do we interact? We understand the uh, a sculpture or a painting from its what I call its frame, how, how it looks. Um, but all web pages look the same. So what differentiates an artwork on a website to an ordinary website? And so uh, it's kind of an analysis of that frame, the frame of the artwork, as it were. Um, and so it's about how we interact with it, really, how we, how we as users, uh, navigate our way through and around this this artwork that is online um and that is basically the starting point what how do we describe an artwork that occurs online uh because i think they're both actually these are two very able uh two very good and very uh, clear artworks about that describe or at least that bring awareness to our own cognitive internet experience we all use the internet we all use it in pretty much well actually no we don't all use it in the same way and i think that's the point um if it can if these artworks make us think about how we use the internet and uh essentially which is i think unresolved in this in this piece how the internet uses us um and that's kind of the core of it uh, they, uh, Yuri and Agnes, describe an internet uh, experience and then invert it so that they actually control how far we go, what we look at, and, um, and provide that experience for us. Do, do you think they make you aware of, or more aware of what's happening to you mm -hmm. than you would normally experience when using the web when it wasn't artwork like this is that what i hope so i mean i mean that's the point of it i think i think agnes is a is a, a bit more fun than yuri patterson's project uh, reliable communications so so agnes is is by cecil b evans yeah that's right so the name of the project is agnes capitals a-g-n-e-s mm -hmm. and then the other the other the other piece by yuri patterson mm -hmm. is is reliable communications with some capitals exactly some capitals here and at the there, beginning yeah. at the beginning of each word <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly and um uh, agnes which is on the serpentine gallery's website uh you click on a little button and suddenly agnes there's like it, a kind of curious little symbol isn't there exactly in, in the list of 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 word of of what do you, you know the things you click on to go to different pages of ah, the website it's, no, sort of, it's, it's pasted in one of those there's also one at the bottom right exactly corner. that's right but a there's, little there's, two, there's two ah, i always no, just immediately I, jump I to the bottom right and i had a look there you go exactly and so our internet experience is completely different because <laughs> <laughs> i always jump to that little gold button on the bottom right hand side uh -huh. and um and she takes us she yeah, is that, that you mean Agnes? Agnes. You say, you? So Agnes, Agnes is. is uh, uh, why genderized? Do you think? I was interested by that. I mean, uh, there is a voice involved, isn't there? There is. It's uh, one of those electronic speech, to, uh, whatever speech, to, uh, text to speech voices, uh, computerized, and um, 
It's female, isn't it? It is female. She is she, female. Mm. Agnes. I don't know why. No, no, no. That's okay. But that's why she's called. Yeah. It's not called Fred because it's not a male sure, voice. Possibly. Yeah. Put it Frederica. That way. Put it that um, way. Yes, I know one. <laughs> but um, I think Agnes is a is an acronym, isn't it? I don't know what. I don't, I don't remember what for. It is. I, 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 again, I can't remember uh, yeah. what for either. But just just to because you're saying about why, why no, thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, I mean, there's another bit in here about, um, because the whole point about using the internet and the whole point that they, Agnes and Reliable Communications, lead you on a tour of the web that you're not necessarily in control of, even though it seems like you are, um, it's an exercise in trust building. And I think perhaps, I mean, that's one aspect of it. I think perhaps... We can do a show of hands here. I think maybe women are more trustworthy in general. Well, we society would trust them more than a dude going. Oh, definitely. Follow me, mate. Yeah, that's sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I was think I was thinking about this in Pret over the road as sort of recapping on the. And there's there's three there's three things that come immediately to mind. There's Agnes, and there's Siri. That's right. Also female. Mm. And then there's uh, her Scarlett Johansson in, that's the, right, in yeah. Spike Jones's film about a sort of uh, sort of Siri. virtual <laughs> companion yeah exactly yeah. so it's weird I don't know what that what that and it's a classic sort of fetishization of the, the sat nav voice as well that's true well there I is that old, it comes from that old I don't know whether it's a meme or something but that old idea that there are no women on the internet um, but that I mean you could break that down in itself and say that that's because there are no clearly defined gender roles on the internet everybody is just a persona everybody is just you know a finger clicking on a mouse um but i think there is something about the whole trust building aspect of it in her in siri all of these yeah um can so i yeah. ask you a question please do uh, uh, jay what well, there's, there's this phrase that you use or this this uh, term that you use retroactive continuity retconning yes yeah. what is it i wasn't quite sure what what it is, what it means. Retro retconning, um, essentially, say for example, uh, we'll use the example of uh, Batman or Superman, these superheroes that uh, emerged in you know, the golden age of the superhero, 1940s, 1950s, and they've gone through their uh, original print publications of the comics, um, the weekly comics, and they've gone through their movies, and they've gone through their computer games, and they've essentially uh, broken away from their original purpose. And so when uh, Two-Face appears in uh, The Dark Knight, or The Dark Knight Rises, whichever one it was, The Dark Knight, um, that Two-Face is different to the Two-Face that originally appeared in the Batman comics. So he is a different character, and that is finding a new purpose for old characters. It's so that's reconditioning. It's reconditioning. Is that what you mean? It's reconditioning a, a purpose to suit okay. contemporary audiences and to suit a for, another forward trajectory. So when they make the next Superman films, the next Superman film has Superman and Batman in it together, and uh, so it's it's repurposing history for a contemporary audience. But they all change, don't they? All these characters, I mean, even Batman changes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, the, sure. the core fundamental Batman will remain, but um, it's changing history to suit the purpose, to suit the, the conditions of today's audiences. Yeah. And it's forgetting the history, the old history. So if a 10-year-old has come to Batman now, 
they wouldn't know anything about, you know, Batgirl or or why his parents died in the first place because of what occurs in the new movie, for example. Uh, and you're linking this on in in terms of websites and so on to a sort of uh, chucking away of history or disposing of disposability of history? I think, I mean, part of this piece is about understanding that we have, we each, you know, use the internet in a specific way, but what these two artworks show is that our own internet experience can be uh, eroded for something a bit more homogenized so that we can all share an internet experience and whether that's by i don't know something like uh, this idea of net neutrality you know or having an open internet where the uh, isps uh, a closed internet is where the isps have the power to uh, block off certain websites or block off certain sections of websites so we can only see certain things um, and these these artworks kind of depict this depict this this vision of a closed internet that is highly regulated and highly moderated and um, that's yeah this this article kind of touches on that but that's essentially what the theme of these, what I found the theme of these artworks to be. It's interesting you're, you're, uh, you're talking about <clears throat> post-internet and also like you're saying about getting back to basics and stuff with yeah. the way you're talking about the frames of these artworks and stuff because both of these artworks are essentially uh, sort of old school net art projects. Really. Yeah. They're not really, they don't have that uh, back to physicality coming offline post-internet thing about them mm -hmm. really much at all. They're sort of these yeah relational interactive like online projects and stuff i think it's it's unusual to see them aligned like this without uh some some sort of post internet bent in there about about projects coming offline again it's that's cool. funny cuz um i always think the internet art projects that online artworks so i'm going to have to correct myself there uh <laughs> of today of 2014 are going to be, you know, of course, as we all know, technologically more advanced than those of, say, in 1994. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever, 2004. Yeah. Um, but I think that the focus on post-internet devalues these online artworks today because they are significantly more complex than those of five years ago, even. Sure. And uh, they refer to a different set of political themes, political concerns mm. and so I'm not trying to denigrate post in now in any way you know I love a hell of a lot of it um, but I think that focus necessarily going towards post internet art as a thing when we're discussing digital artworks devalues uh, works like like these two which which I think are, are perfectly valid perfectly relevant and perhaps more complex and uh, more interesting, mm. I think, than a lot of post-internet art just because they're objects, they're, mm. they're gallery-based objects. Well, they're less, it's less medium-focused, isn't it? Certainly mm -hmm. these, I mean, they're like, you've got sort of interactive, like a reimagined archive, and then you've got this, like, technological, this uh, issue we're talking about, like, interacting with a mm -hmm. cybernetic female or whatever. Whereas, like, I think a lot of the post-internet is 
very much about that dichotomy, that internet post-internet mm -hmm. thing. So it's like we've been through the iterations of making artwork online and how that's developed and how that's progressed. But now, I don't know, dare I say, like we need something saleable or something that, to put in a space. Mm. Yeah. But there's this inter interesting middle ground, I guess, where people are sort of reimagining web spaces in spaces like mm -hmm. Ed Flynn's or like Yuri yeah. Patterson's done as well and stuff like that. It's true. I'm interested to see actually Ed's show. It's opening on Friday or something like that. Thursday night, I think. Thursday yeah, night yeah. at Ch uh, Chisholm Hill, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, just to see what's what's done there. I saw the Michelle Labellis today, uh, Sadie Coles, and I thought the idea of it, I, saw, I thought these images which she makes, which are actually quite beautiful images, mm. um, I actually thought they worked better online. I thought they actually looked better on my computer screen than they did on, on, in the gallery. Um, which was quite disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and is that where they came from? No, they were made specifically, at, I think. I mean, don't quote me on this. I only saw it this morning. Sure. Um, uh, they are uh, images that have been, essentially, in which perspective has been flattened. And um, on certain images, there, ha there are some, some sculptural objects, some little plastic squares or rectangles that have been pasted on top of the, on top of the frame. And um, I thought the quality of the photography was replicated better on a computer screen than it was in a gallery. Just say the name of the artist again. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Michelle Abelis. Fine, uh, do, yeah, at do. Sadie Coles. <laughs> Thank you. Um, That's good. Just for our listener. <laughs> yeah. so go and make their own mind up. Both Sadie Coles galleries. Um, listen, we want to, to bring in Nick as well, but just, I'm not quite... Is it possible, and you do do it in your feature, to describe a little more, a tiny bit more about the experience of one of those pieces? Like you say, you're, yeah, on, you're, yeah. on, you're using it. Yeah. What actually, because I went on one where there the, was a rock spin, <coughs> spinning around on top of mm -hmm. what was other, other information underneath it, and if I scrolled my, my mouse wheel down yeah. uh, too fast, a lot of this text all disappeared, and then and the rock span quicker, and stuff. And, and, what I was very taken by was the, the physic, almost the physicality, and the layering of, of of what I was being given. But I didn't. It, so it was visually quite interesting. Mm. I, I found, but I didn't spend a long time in it. So I don't know where I did click on some things, and they said forbidden. You can't go there. Yeah. And stuff like that, and I didn't know whether that was right or if that was actually like mm. designed, or was it temporarily? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is again, you know, frustrating and interesting. I mean, this is that's uh, Yuri Patterson's project, Reliable yes, Communications, yes, yes. and uh, it's for the user. You go in and you go reach this website, and there's this spinning half rock that's in the middle of the screen that can't disappear, and um, it starts off like a normal website, and as you scroll down, the page uh, disintegrates, uh, dissolves into the next page uh, in a kind of uh, what you call it, uh, infinite scroll. And uh, it starts off with the Sov uh, information on the Soviet coup of August 1981. There's research on public policy analysis by North American academics, some Usenet news message groups, uh, communications logs from Desert Storm. Are they links to those things, or are those things actually those meant to are, be there? Those are actually meant to be there. Yeah, yeah. And you can click on them, you can use them as websites, but clicking on them... Uh, will take you into a new tab or a new window uh, but you will still remain in yes Yuri it still Patterson's has the same project. address at the top in the, exactly in your, in your it still has everything there so you're still in the confines within the frame of this one website this original website you could end up buying something from 
this website, but from well from the websites that are on reliable communications, but you're in this proxy still in this prism of Yuri Patterson's project, and that's what I feel in one aspect is about um, this idea of understanding what web surveillance is and surveillance through the web. And because well, you're aware that, that, that even though you think you're moving around exactly. by, by choice, they know where you are, and they're actually the sense of control. Because yeah. this hovering address is, is, makes it apparent. And the rock as more. well. Um, and the constant rock, yes. Exactly. Yeah. You can move as freely as you want, but essentially you're still in this tunnel. So they're almost like symbols of control, these, these, in, these, these things, yeah, aren't they? absolutely. And, um, they're just literally in your face. Literally, and that's what it is. That's essentially what I wanted to begin to explore in this essay. It was about what is this frame how do we understand this frame of how we approach a website you know of mm. how we approach this artwork where are its parameters and and we all presumably. exactly we all have the parameters we use when we use the internet we're not going to go to this website we're not going to go over there we're not going to go over here i want my world to be x big you know um but as wide as we go there's always some some we can always we're never far from being watched as it were that sounds awfully conspiratorial and i hate that but it's it's true you know we don't understand web surveillance because you know these are all military uh technologies that have been around for about 30 odd years or 40 years or however long um and so i think it's really important that we become aware of these and i think it's quite timely that these two projects appeared these two artworks appeared at uh, more or less the same time <laughs> you mentioned Chisnell Gallery earlier on, and I'm going to great I'm segue. Br bring it back. So really great segue, Matt. It's well, straight into you, Nick. Thank you very much for that. You saw Edward <laughs> Thomason's projection at Chisnell Gallery. Now you wrote about that at the end of your review, mm, your London Roundup. So you may, <clears> want, <throat> may not want to talk about it straight away because you may want to flow through because you have a lovely beginning. No, about can, a tree falling. I can abandon chronology completely and go in any order. Go. So there's, there's four shows that I wrote about, and they're all sort of um, audiovisual in some way, uh, and they're sort of dealing with this uh, relationship between the oral AU, so the, the sort of the audio and the visual of these different. So you've got Nina Wakeford was at Legion TV, uh, which was a single channel projection in the space and, and nothing else as Una Knox at Fold Gallery that was also a single channel projection with a couple of other objects um, and then there was Edward Thomason like you say at Chisholm Hale that was a single channel projection um, uh, and then there was Travis Jefferson at Wilkinson Gallery which, which was uh, 16 headphoned uh, sound installations so they're, they're all sort of in this, in this uh, from a mediumistic point of view the same vein um, but going through them, uh, the 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 first one you mentioned, uh, Edward Thomason at Chisenhale, was I think sort is sort of like the blockbuster of the piece. I think a lot of people saw that show, um, his new video work, which is a sort of um, well. Before I saw it, a friend a friend of mine said to me, "Have you seen the new Edward Thomason piece? It's great. It's like watching EastEnders." 
So that's what I sort of went to it expecting. But it wasn't like that. It was any, you know, it was, it was sort of London-based. Did they it, mean it had some sort of narrative? Is yeah, that, so is that really what they're implying? It's, it's narrative and it's it's sort of based on situational drama, musical theatre, and it sort of recycles... Well, so it has actors. It has actors, it has a cast. It sort of is a mashup of these different sort of cinematic and um, and sort of televisual tropes, and it sort of puts them together so there's three narratives and there's there's a, a sandpit therapist that we see working with a young child so so sandpit therapist is someone who encourages children to reenact traumatic experiences in in a sandpit make and using models and mm. small props and things like that as a way of dealing with post-traumatic stress and other such uh syndromes and uh and that's that's one storyline and then there's there's a a, a group of Sort of a cappella uh, police officers sing a, singing a, a piece, a song, a piece of music about their everyday working experiences to a, a class full of sort of fairly disinterested adolescents. Um, and then there's a woman uh, who has a, an office job of some sort that we see in various different situations who falls over on the street and, and grazes her knee. And she's sort of, you get the impression she's a sort of central protagonist. And we follow her around and we see her nursing this wounded knee at her desk for several days and uh, and giving this sort of slightly uh, reflective monologue about her, the healing of her knee and and, uh, and this building site, which is opposite her office, and she's going up. So it's this... It, could all, it sounds remotely, and I don't mean this really random. It's... It, if, the, I mean, it's <laughs> The the narrative and the characters and 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 uh, this 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 sort of storyline we follow seems slightly arbitrary and I think that's it's, what I meant I arbitrary think, yeah and I think it's supposed I think it's supposed to come off that way um, I think that there's there's sort of ideas of community and uh, political unrest and sort of trauma and things like that in there but I think really what um, what Thomason's sort of aiming at is is the mashup of these tropes, and he he plays on that in different ways. The seating in the gallery is sort of high and low, and quite um, disruptive to the viewing experience, or at least it's like he's at rake seating. Yeah, but there's this is quite sort of really high, uncomfortable bar stools at the back, which make you feel like you're not staying in very long. And then there's these lower seats at the front, and then there's sort of a few lines and and points in the scripts. At which you're sort of made to feel like maybe you've chosen the wrong seating, and it's it's very <laughs> intricate actually. The, How do the, they do the, that? The whole thing is very intricate. Do the actors turn to you and say, <laughs> oh, "I'm going to throw some water at you in a minute"? Not quite as not quite as literally as that, but um, and then and then uh, Nina Wakeford's show at Legion TV, uh, vastly more intimate affair altogether. It was a uh, a very um, sort of anecdotal personal video she's made about her, a trip that she made to the lesbian herstory archive uh which i believe is in brooklyn and she's going through some of the materials there and sort of describing them in a slightly funny way it's a sort of documentary but very personal very very yeah and 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 very i mean have you i don't know if you've been to legion tv but it's a tiny space and she'd filled the entire room with this sort of triangular wooden structure so that in order to manoeuvre around it you had maybe a metre on any one side and on one on one face there's this projection and then 
So you're really you're again you're, you're right against the screen. You can you can get back far enough. Maybe on the screen side, there's a couple of meters. You can get back far enough, but it's very close, certainly. Um, and then add to that, she's she's flicking through these photographs on the table, and the framing of the camera is right around her hands. As it, there's, I mean, if you're following the show with your magazine at home, you can see the picture next yes, to the piece. Yes. Where, where page thirty. And she's she's sort of flicking through these photos and describing the content, but in this really funny way where she's like singing, she's sort of humming and singing as she goes, and, and each image she comes to, she's trying to sort of. Uh, she's trying to um, spark some sort of song or memory or something uh, it's quite hard to describe that from the content of the image yeah. so she's looking at things in there and, and then trying to find a song with that thing in the title or whatever and then, and then you can walk around this, this space just around the edges of this thing and there's sort of LED lights and stuff at the other end that sort of lure you around but there's nothing else there and so you're, you find yourself uh, l listening to the piece as you walk around you can go back in on yourself inside the triangle of like partition walls and then you're sort of you're sort of inside uh Nina Wakeford's sort of voice and you can, it's it's a very it's a very a very close experience unlike Chisholm Hale which um although again the comparison is slightly arbitrary but it's a, it's a massive immaculately installed cinematic in, in quite a big space yeah it? in a huge space yeah exactly so it's very very different um, and then moving on, uh, Una Knox's show at Fold Gallery was was uh, the third of the ones that I saw. That it's an, again a very large video installation projection. And uh, in this instance, we're following uh, we I say we sort of the camera is following this this woman around uh, a sort of Victorian. Botanical gardens, like like Kew or something. Exactly, yeah, something something like that. And she she's walking around these paths and looking up at and and she's a a sound pathologist, which is uh, someone who deals with uh, audiology. And she's walking around and she's she's like singing abstract noises and notes to to the space as a way, almost like I imagine it like a dolphin. You know, she's sort of bouncing sounds off things and sort of vibing out the space and. And Bob, you're nodding like you know much more than me what a sound pathologist is. Well, no, but I mean, if you if you make a, a people who make radio documentaries yeah. or TV programs, they, yeah. they'll take a, a wild track or a, a recording of just the ambience in the room. Yes. So that you can edit. Is it called room tone? Yeah, yeah or, or, or it's just it's just wild and tracks so wild that track. you can so that you can edit over yeah. that particular version of silence. Yeah. And it will make. Oh, uh, so it's like the base level. Yeah, yeah, interesting. But people like John Cage understood it as well, didn't he? The, the, Sound the, of there silence. is no such thing as silence. silence. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So it's interesting because here, Yuna uh, Knox is talking about this idea of like room tone or, or this wild track you're talking about, and she's she's taken recordings in this botanical garden of the birds and the waterfalls and this ambient noises, and then she's got this sound pathologist sort of riffing off of it. Um, and you're sort of invited to sort of ask if there can be this ambient sort of uh, wild track, you know, in a, in such a heavily um, manufactured environment, right? Because it's this completely fake. You mean, you mean can she make it sound like a jungle? Yeah, exactly. When it, isn't, when it, when it clearly isn't. Exactly. That kind of thing. Um, and then the show's 
sort of bracketed there's a couple of other little uh, smaller video works in there and then there's some some photographic c-type prints outside of the projection space as well uh, which are they're sort of reminiscent of uh, sort of uh, photograms or, or rayograms if you're old school and you like Man Ray you know the sort of layering of uh, it's all done in camera it's not actually darkroom work but it has that sort of slightly abstract silhouetted look about it and again it's this relationship between um, audiology and and uh, and the visuals so so the similar ways in which noise uh, which light and sound operate essentially yeah um, the last of the four shows is, was uh, Travis Jefferson at Wilkinson Gallery, and in this in this show, uh, Jefferson's got sixteen sculptures on show, and the sort of uh, a slightly tongue-in-cheek title, I think, because there, there's there's uh, purportedly there's no sculptures there. It's a description of sixteen famous sculptural works that Jefferson has had made uh, along with a musical producer. And then you can go and sit in these sixteen chairs and listen to these sixteen respectively. And the chairs are all, all different, are they? No, so it's, it's it's this big white room with these chairs dotted around the wall, perfectly equidistant, very very minimalist, very clean, very Scandinavian, if you like. And above each one, you've got a very heavily aestheticized music player on the wall above the chair, which is got a is a vinyl disc if you look at it it looks like a like a piece of, of you know a record yeah and then that's got the music playing device in it and there's a matching headphones coming out of it and they're on a hook on the wall it's very very pristine and you're invited by inference to go and sit on these chairs and is there a title yeah so somewhere you, on the wall saying what the artwork is that you're i think they're, hear? I, th um, I think they're numbered and there's a sheet sure okay but so they're just called like the net they're called they're titled as the original artwork is and you listen to these descriptions, but it's um, it's it's an interesting piece. But obviously, the work becomes very sculptural, and it's supposed to be completely lacking in aesthetics. I think our engineer is telling us that we merely need to wind up this live show. <laughs> She's just nodded at me to say that's true. <laughs> I hope that's okay with you, I was, Nick. I was done. I was. I was Are you sure? Yeah, a hundred percent. Because I, I just want to say, you did say that the descriptions, when you actually listen to them, are not really very accurate. Well, is that right? Yeah, I mean, they're very interpretive. They're abstract. Yes, thank they're, you. Not, they're not straight-up descriptions. You're much more polite about describing things. I used the word something earlier, which wasn't quite polite, anyway. <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for being on, coming on, talking to everybody. I hope you've enjoyed listening. You have been listening to the Art Monthly Talk Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. We've been discussing texts in Art Monthly's September issue 379, which you can subscribe to for £29. Thank you very much. Let me take you back to basics, because some of you are new to this and some of you might have just forgotten or lost track, lost track of what's been happening. Every weekday at 8pm, Resonance FM presents The Clear Spot, an hour of radio dedicated to a wide range of specialist interests. Hi, this is Joe Cushley on Resonance FM, and I'm delighted to have two of my favourite musicians in the studio today, PJ Harvey and John Parrish. The council wants to do the right thing by its residents. That's clear, because all those councillors want to get re-elected. And I hear sirens, and I taste blood, and I smell burning, and everything hurts. 
Tune in each week to hear a unique selection of drama, documentary, live discussions, and much more. The Clear Spot, Monday to Friday, 8 to 9 p.m. on Resonance 104.4 FM. Also streaming at resonancefm.com.